who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, here we are. So good to be here. Oh, there it is. There you go. Wow. Uh, wake up, audience. <laughs> wake up. I don't know why you were so late there. Wake up. Okay, there they are. So, but I'm so, so, I could barely sleep last night. I'm so excited. Definitely. And you know why. I mean, we, uh, you know we why. We basically took the day off yesterday. We you sure know, did. Our, our, son's, our son got a day off from his, you know, his, his family meeting. And why were we doing that? Because we got an invitation from our good friend Brian Fuller to go to an advanced screening of Jordan Peele's Nope. Woo! So excited yes. about that. So and because I really believe that Jordan has evolved into an important artist and there are many lessons here. We're gonna talk about this today without any spoilers. No spoilers. But in a week or so we will talk about it as if you've already seen it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not going to want to listen to that episode. But right now, what we kind of want to do is to have an initial reaction, an initial a spoiler-free review, using only the things that we've seen in the trailers. We can, you know, we can okay. talk about that much. That's fair. And we have an incredible treat today. If you listen to the podcast, you know, we did an earlier episode where we took an interview we had done with the late Octavia Butler. And we used excerpts from that interview throughout the podcast as if she was a podcast guest. Well, guess what? We're going to do that same thing today. But this time, our podcast guest in excerpts is going to be Jordan Peele. Woo! Yes. The the not late Jordan Peele. No, he's still here. With us, Jordan Peele. And I'm going to be honest. You know, it'd be very easy for me to be puppy fanboy here, except that. I know that that's the last thing in the world that Jordan wants. You know, that we've, we've met him. We've hung out with him some. He's been wonderful to us. And I think that what he wants is brothers and sisters who speak their truth and are doing their art at the best level that they can do and who have his back. So I can tell you honestly, I will just say, I feel like I, I feel a little protective. 
of Jordan. I want to have his back. So one thing that happened during the movie is that I noticed something that he did early in the movie that I will not discuss that was powerful, unexpected, powerful, where the movie begins. Still haunting me. Still haunting me the next day. Woo. And I knew that, that what he did there would overpower the movie if it was just part of the, 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 the backstory of a B character. Um, and in fact, in classic drama, B characters and their stories are chosen to be counterpunctual with the, with the A storyline. You don't do something that's just hanging out there. There's something that you are saying about the main story, at least if you are an artist on the level of the best of the best. And I think that Jordan is, is knocking on that door. But listen, knocking, listen, he came out of the park yeah. with Homer's. He came out of the park with Get Out, which is such a tight, tight script that even as much as I love Nope, I think Get Out is going to be my favorite movie for a long time to come. Not just because of what it is, but what it did for all yeah. of us in the industry, the doors that open. But I love, 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 love. Nope. I want to say that right up front, honey, before you intellectualize. Yes. I just want to Go say right up front how much I absolutely love nope even as much as i am a jordan peele fangirl and i can't help that because as a horror writer and lover so he just represents so much hope for the industry it's hard not to fangirl a little bit but this movie surpassed my expectations and that is saying a lot yeah i i can see that i mean i think that get out was almost perfectly judged you know, that he spent five years writing it and he wrote it so that it could be produced with basically no money. He specifically was worked, wanted to write a store a, a story that he felt nobody would let him make and then try to figure out how to make it. Right. Okay. So and then I felt and I thought it was, you know, just perfect, you know, as good a first movie as I know of. You know, we're not sure it, it may not be Citizen Kane, but there are ways in which Citizen Kane was not get out. Um, <laughs> exactly. Say that. You know, there that are part. there are ways that that I could defend that statement because Jordan had disadvantages that Orson Welles did not have. Right. So I have to consider context. By the time you get to us, my feeling was that it was less perfect than Get Out, but actually showed more talent, more ability. That it was spread over a larger canvas. And so if the paint was a little thinner in some places, that's understandable. What you have with Nope is something that, that is an even larger canvas in some ways than, than us, but stays sufficiently confined that it was a totally knowable universe for him. So he was for so his interest in thematics were able to rise to that surface and if he didn't spend three years working on that five years working on that script it's very clear this was a very polished very sophisticated script it took me some time to figure out the thematic structure because i wanted so much to absolutely fall in love with it but there were some things that there were some questions i had that i could not answer yet and i was having to sit back and kind of say oh god what if i don't love this I, we were in the car. I was like jumping up and down because I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I love this movie. I love this movie. And Steve was in his head, right, processing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he didn't like it. But it, it wasn't that. It's just that the way Steve's personality is set up. And this comes up in conversations with us, too. It's not just when he's watching movies. He can't move on to the next piece. <laughs> he can't move on to the emotional engagement part that I'm trying to get to until he has processed the information he feels he needs. Now, interestingly enough, that's absolutely the opposite of what the two of us do with our writing. Yes. You can't move on until you've got it perfect, whereas I can race to the end of a book <laughs> and, and everything in between is like garbage because I know I'll go back and clean it up. So you know, it's, it's interesting. We're balancing that way. But what, what we can say about the movie is that it deals with an alien encounter. Right. You can see that, obviously, in the trailer. That's not a secret. It deals with a man who is trying to protect a family legacy of supplying horses to Hollywood. Which you can also Uh, see in the trailer. And his sister, who's more of an entertainer. You can feel that he's a little bit more shut down emotionally. She's more exuberant. So, you know, introvert. And there are other characters. There is a character who is basically a member of the Geek Squad, you know. And there's a character who is I mean, a, a former child star. 
Right. We don't need to get. To, I mean, okay, okay. You can no, talk I, about. I, I the think characters. That there's a quintet of, of of characters that who come together in response to this alien occurrence, and the rest of the movie plays out from there. But I had to figure out how that first scene fit. How does this connect to what we're seeing here? Because I'm used to Jordan being that deep. That, mm-hmm. that one of the things that was true about us was that the story didn't quite make sense logically. There's no way you can justify that story logically, I don't think. It, However, at dream logic, yes. it makes sense. It was more of a European film mm-hmm. in, in that sense. What I will say about Nope is that the surface story makes sense this time. That you can follow it with nothing more. You can skate all the way across that ice. You can follow it with nothing more than paying attention to the events on the screen in terms of an alien that aforementioned alien encounter. Right. You don't want to bring a super young kid to see this movie, but your 13, 14, 15 year old who isn't accustomed to asking deeper questions about thematics and philosophy will follow the story just fine. Lots of popcorn will be eaten. A good time will be had by all. I, I have something I call the monkey paw method. I'm hoping it'll take off. The monkey paw method has you certainly learned from it. So right. please, you know, Dr. Do. <laughs> the monkey paw method is something that is emblematic of all monkey paw films so far, including the three Jordan Peele films and the Nia DaCosta film Candyman. And it is as follows. The first component is that it centers a black protagonist or black protagonists. This is something that is very important to Jordan Peele. He has basically made statements in the press that this is what he intends to do. He is going to center Blackness in his stories. Boom, check. The second thing, which is really, really important for a movie like this, which could be a huge summer blockbuster tentpole. It has all those trappings. It has those moments that feel like you're watching an old Spielberg movie, right? It just, it, it has those moments. It actually feels like a crossbreed of two different Spielberg classics, but I don't think it would be a good idea for us to mention. What no, no, are. no. But, and also images that, that evoke to me, like the old Hollywood cinema of the old West, right? Like all that stuff. It's a, it's a cinema lover's film. It's a thrill ride. It's all that stuff. But like, all I would my- say it has his best cinematography. Right, the right. Cinematography is gorgeous. Please do see it on the biggest screen you can find. True. There's a sequence in the third act that I believe is worth the price of admission and would have been even if the thematics hadn't come together. True. It needs to be seen on the biggest screen you can get. But under the monkey paw method, the second point is it works plot-wise on the surface. You can be perfectly entertained just watching the story. But if you want to engage more deeply, if you want to do what Steve did and ask yourself questions, what exactly was that relationship between this scene and that scene? What exactly is this filmmaker saying about this theme or that theme? There is a whole course worth of information that you can uncover for yourself if you look for it, but you don't have to. And the third component of the monkey paw method has to do with the treatment in particular of what people will say black bodies. I'll say black people because that feels a little dehumanizing just to say black bodies, but he's very careful about the way he shows violence on screen toward black characters. You saw that through Get Out. You saw that through us and Candyman too, even though Nia DaCosta directed that. And I would even say, and nope, I'll take it a step further. He's very careful about the way he shows violence to any people's bodies. I mean, there's lots of violence. Oh, there's suffering. There's lots of suffering and violence. There's but a lot of suffering. But you know something? I don't really think there's that much violence. I think that it's uh, it's a mild R. It's not well. Depend on what all. you do, call. Listen, okay. That's because he's making decisions to sh- with his camera angles. The exact same scene done head on would be incredibly violent. It just yes, so it happens would. that this person is hidden I behind a sofa. I think he was very close to a PG-13, to tell you the truth. Interesting. I don't think he was very far across that line. And I think that that it isn't... If I were to drill down, there is a lot going on in that movie. But I think that, like I said, skating across the ice, it's an alien encounter. And it's, it's crackerjack. It is tense. There are moments of horror. There are moments where it's funny. Other moments where it's touching. Mm. It has all the values that we expect. But what what we get is we're watching an artist mature right in front of us. In it, one year, he's done three. In, in five in five years, he's done three movies that have changed the field in terms of what Hollywood is willing to accept as black films. 
he, by himself. He's carrying that on his shoulders. I don't think there's anybody who has done what he has done because even somebody like Spike has never had the kind of financial success that Jordan had. That means he's been able to tap into a bigger audience, that he's no more passionate than Spike. But I do think that his sense of humor enables him to go places that Spike can't go as easily. And also just his very particular vision. You know, my one fear for Nope coming out, you know, after a pandemic, and I don't know what kind of pressures he's under from the studio. And then you hear they've built a whole sort of amusement park wing at Universal Studios around the movie, which really points to commercial, commercial, commercial. And you wonder, you know, at a certain point, can a director get his or her head turned by this notion of the big commercial film? Is his vision going to be lost in that? And I'm so excited and actually amused because if you watch Nope and you really get what that amusement park represents, it's kind of ironic and almost ridiculous <laughs> that there's an Is amusement that something park. you talking about this week? Because you haven't said that to me. You want to wait until next week to say what you believe it represents? Or you want to give us... No, 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 no. I'm not right saying now. what it represents. I'm not saying what it represents. But once you see the movie okay. and you watch it for yourself, you might get a big chuckle out of the amusement park version. <laughs> me too, because, okay. because right. as commercial as Nope is... It also is to its core Jordan Peele, meaning it is subversive as hell. And there are moments that are angry as hell. (laughs) Holy cow. That is a very, I mean, I think that without his sense of humor, his anger might have eaten him a lot. True. I, I think that he is slightly miraculous in the sense that, that he sees very clearly, but he's, He's smart enough to see what's going on, but he's wise enough to have found a way to make enough peace with it that he's not beating the hell out of the out of the audience with, with what he sees and what he's feeling. And I think that there's a real lesson there for artists. And this is one of the reasons why I do want to return to it next week or the week after. Maybe it'll be in two weeks after people, you know, have, have, have seen more it. chance to, to, to see it. Because I think that artists need to study the work of great artists to understand how they're doing this because there is nothing there's nothing at the core of it about what he's doing that any artist cannot do you may not do it as well as jordan peele but all you have to do is be honest about who you are and what you see and what you're feeling and then create enough craft it's almost like the honesty the honest emotion is the fire and the craft is the the container for that fire and i think that these are lessons you know i look at that he makes me want to be a better writer he makes me look at my own work and say you know i'm not i'm not going deep enough deep that is the whole key one thing a lot of people may not understand and this is something that we've learned in conversation with jordan is that when he first started writing get out and he was writing in his spare time over a long period of time like steve said he was working on mad tv at the time this was his his pet project he didn't realize it was about race at first and and i don't think that can be overstated enough it's similar to m night Shyamalan not realizing that bruce willis was a ghost that is the thing itself about the sixth sense okay it's sorry if you haven't seen it but bruce willis is a ghost that's like the whole point that makes it so twisty and amazing and 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 an instant classic what is get out without race? It's even hard to imagine it. But when he was first conceiving of that story, it was someone who's a third wheel, the odd person out that uncomfortable, awkward feeling when you're a group of people, they all know each other. They're all college friends. You're a plus one. You're off by yourself. But he went deeper. He went deeper than just, oh, this is vaguely uncomfortable to the thing itself, which is I am the odd person out because I'm black and I'm the only black person in the room. And when you open that door, on the other side is get out. You know, Robert McKee, who I make no bones about, I think is the greatest writing instructor I've ever I've ever heard of, says that basically you write your first draft, just to tell the story. That after you write that first draft, you look and you ask yourself about the themes. You know, but you do not think about themes before you write that first draft. First draft is what what Ray Bradbury referred to as running slow-mo through the daisies. Just put out the scenes and the images and, and, and ask yourself what the characters are thinking and feeling. Then after, you ask yourself, what have I done here? What do I have here? 
then once you find the theme, if you can state it as a question, you then go between the scenes and each question, each scene has to be addressing the thematics. Every scene has to be either thesis, antithesis, or synthesis. That you say something, you know, love can over, overcome pain, okay? And you do a scene that suggests that. Then you have another scene that suggests no pain will destroy love. And you let those two war with each other. And then maybe at the end, you have a scene that says, love is what makes pain, what, what turns pain into the fertilizer that grows the roses of life. I mean, I just, you know, something like that, that, that or, or love allows us to deal with our pain together. Okay. So, um, but can I add something? Yeah. If, would I would I make you lose your thought? My caveat to that, because I don't believe in absolutes. I just really absolutely don't. Right. And for me, theme is one of my characters generally when I start writing. I think with me, I think, well, with some artists, I think if they start leaning into theme too early, it becomes preachy. It doesn't feel organic. It's not character or plot driven. It's That's why you don't put it in the first uh, first, yeah, that's why he says that, but I, I can't help it. I know what I'm writing. I know what my story, the theme to me is what the story is about, not what happens in it. But what what is the story about? I usually know that. I usually know that when I'm beginning. But what I will find is that by the time I finish it, I can refine it to either reflect a theme I didn't know was there and bring it out a bit more or, you know, trimming away the fat or trimming away scenes that, that aren't in and aren't congruent with that. But at you writers, because we teach writing, you know, this is all about life writing premium. Yeah, deep down. That's why we're listening to this podcast. Lifewritingpremium.com. We have a writing course. I just want you to understand as students that when we say things like that, don't do this, don't do that. Even between the two of us, we have different approaches to how we do it. And we found our personal accommodation, right? Like well, I, built- I think that it, I think it's even more than that. I think that you can lay out basic things that work basically. If you do these things, you'll be okay. But as a mature artist, you're going to have to figure out which rules you're going to break. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to do it a different way. You've got these things at unconscious competence. You don't need to think about that. You automatically do this. You can do this thing over here. And I think that great artists are defined as much by the rules they break as the ones they follow and probably more. But I think that for beginners, you know, everything that we're teaching in our class, we're trying to give you assuming that you're getting started you know you're you're on your way you're not there yet um so yeah i mean it's what you're doing you're you're operating at the master level sweetie you're thank you darling so, to so are you. Those rules. right and and you your rules work beautifully for you i mean we have slightly different processes but i'm i'm always just so taken with your creativity and the way the way you can think a story so quickly. Anyway, we're not going to like delve too deeply into our mutual admiration society here. <laughs> but I, I I wanted to talk a little bit about how these clips from Jordan Peele came to be. Back yes. back after Get Out came out, and I've discussed this a little bit in the earlier podcast when we talked about the Twilight Zone. So I'm not going to get into the Twilight Zone story. You can look that one up. It's a previous episode. But in any case, IO9 wrote a story about the fact that I was going to teach a class at UCLA called The Sunken Place, which, by the way, I still teach five years later. So it's The Sunken Place, Racism, Survival, and the Black Horror Aesthetic. We have an online version that Steve and I co-teach at www.sunkenplaceclass.com. And one of the features of that was that it put me in touch with Jordan Peele and Monkey Paw Productions, his company, directly via social media where I was DMing him and he was saying it would be so funny if he came to surprise the class, which he did. One student shot a video that went viral. He was on Colbert talking about it. And from that, we invited Jordan, said, it's so great you came to the UCLA class. We also have this online class we created for people who aren't UCLA students so they can just take whenever and wherever from their homes. Would you be willing to Skype an interview, visit with that class and we must have had like all of maybe what, 15 students at the time. And he said, yes. And I, and I say Skype deliberately to show you how long ago this was. This is a time capsule. I know it's only been four years, but we are watching the transformation of this artist who, like I said, came out of the box hitting home runs. But like Steve said, is evolving and maturing before our eyes, even so. 
So this is Jordan Peele pre-Oscar. This is Jordan Peele just beginning to get the love for Get Out. Like they're talking about the Oscars. The awards are starting to come in. He hasn't won it yet. Most of the interview was about Get Out, and some of that will come through in these excerpts we play. But I'm choosing excerpts deliberately that are more general and that will feel like he's just kind of sitting with us on our podcast right now, talking to us, just us talking to Jordan Peele on podcast, you know. <laughs> so the first one, is there anything you want to add, Steve, before we start no, playing the clips? No, no, except that it was just enormous fun. One of the things that he can do is he can he can take anything and make it funny. And I'd never been in interaction with a world-class humorist in that way. And I think that that's been one of his secrets to keeping his sanity and one of the secrets to his horror because yes. laughing and screaming are very close together. We talk about that in these clips coming up. So this very first clip is just that general question, what in the heck attracted him to horror in the first place? Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome um, in an imaginary way to our studio, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Jordan Peele. Right. So in this clip, Jordan, <laughs> could you talk to us about how you first came to be interested in horror? So I'm, I'm a fraidy cat, or I was a, a, a fraid, I, you know, vivid imagination, bad nightmares, afraid of the dark as a kid. I would be, I would have, there would be this allure to horror films, but, and I would, if I got to see one or I got to see like a Fangoria magazine, yes. it would... It would affect me for the next three weeks, and I'd have a hard time sleeping. Some at some point, I told a, a story at, at, at like a campfire horror story to a bunch of my peers, and it just it worked. It really, really worked. And I remember that moment feeling a certain power that helped me conquer my fear. And so, but to really answer your question, why as a as a viewer, why I love horror is because that is. We suppress fear. It's a, it's a human emotion and we do not deal with it. And horror films is, is a way for us to face our fears yeah. and to deal with them. I think that black people have a distinct relationship with horror because, you know, the African-American experience is often filled with more horror that we need to deal with, that we need an outlet for. And we're sort of taught, taught to be strong and smart in the face of these fears and we have to be but um i feel like as a community it's it's possible that we've got more fear to deal with more more horror to deal with on this systemic level so is that one of the reasons why you when you felt that the black community was underserved by horror films yeah that that you specifically wanted to do something that would fit into that gap and provide the same benefit that white people have been providing for their own communities or Asians have provided for their communities when they create these films that, that tie into their concerns and their mythos and so forth and so on. You had a very serious intent with Get Out, it seems. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think that, you know, often it's a, it's a stereotype, but it's a true stereotype, the... The, the idea of the, the black horror audience being very vocal in how, how how dumb the lead character is being. Right. And I think that that comes from a play, I, I think that comes from this frustration of lack of representation, not just of our skin, but of our sensibility, of our, you know, the first scene in Get Out, you know, where Lakeith is walking down the street, he... You know, I get. I, I think that's like the first laugh and release for the audience, specifically the black audience, is the moment he goes, if something doesn't feel right, he goes, nope. He turns around and starts going back the other way. Right. Like, so, so isn't that great? He uses the title nope in the interview. Like, because even when I first heard the title of this movie, I thought that sounds so much like Jordan. 
that yeah. he would call his movie Nope. <laughs> That's actually well, how I mean, he I talks. Think he's, I think that black people, you know, white people have been centered in their own country, as, you know, makes sense, you know, for 400 years. Well, it's our country black too, people, they exist, are on the periphery. You know, we can watch their movies, even movies that are sometimes about us. Mm-hmm. You know, we watch them, but we're not the center of it. It's something like, you know, Mississippi Burning. It's all about black people with no black people. But I think that Jordan is making movies that he would have wanted to see. He's making them with a black sensibility. He's making them unapologetically. But he's he's also inviting white people to come and watch. You know, you can watch this, but this is not specifically for you. I I think... think, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that was one of the biggest lessons for Universal, really for the industry, period, and why Get Out was such an earthquake through Hollywood was to understand that you could tell this story that is centering a black man's experience with white supremacy and still make $250 million doing it on a, on an investment of less than 5 million. Right. And, and the fact that us also made that, that kind of money, look, you, you they can't ignore that. No, they can't. You know, and my sense is, you know, and I, I said this in a review that I wrote, that I have the sense that he'd be perfectly happy writing plays for a 99-seat equity waiver theater and bussing tables in the day, during the day, if that's what it took for him to be a, a creative artist who is expressing to a group. He, I, it, his, his heart is pure in that sense. These are intensely personal. Yes. Uh, and he just happens to have enough of a commercial sensibility that he's going to make a billion dollars. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it's like, how did he do that? That's something really, really, really worth studying. I, I, meant, I mentioned that there are ways in which I wish I could have heard a conversation between Jordan and Harlan Ellison. Mm. Because Harlan also had that intensely personal you know, dig or split, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing sensibility, except he never had the, the commercial sensibility that Jordan has. Yes, and I and, and that really comes to the forefront in, in Nope, which again is his first, what I would describe as a popcorn movie. It, you can feel that it is a thriller popcorn movie. And, and one of the things that's so amazing about it, it's not a comedy, of course, but it has moments that are very funny. Yes. And, a, and it's no surprise to anyone that Jordan is great at this because he's a, a world-class comic actor when he was a comic actor and also a world-class horror writer director. And this is something that we asked him about during the interview, the relationship between the laugh and the scream. And this is what Jordan Peele had to say about that. And I was wondering, can you talk to us about laughter and screams, comedy and horror? And why There's- is it a good marriage? Yeah. Yes, that's, I mean, a great question. And yeah, something I identified early that the, that the two are, are so related. I mean, they're, they're related rhythmically. They're related in the, in, in the, the fact that there's not, if you're doing it right, there's not a lot of leeway in, in my mind in terms of how much vagueness you can have in your intentions of what the audience experience should be. So I, you know, in comedy, you know, my training is you get the, you, to get the laugh, you're trying to get the big laugh. You're trying to get everybody in that theater at the same time to laugh at the exact same moment. Yeah. So to get that process. And it's, so it's a wound, it's wound tight. And that's how I feel about horror as well is it's not, you know, I feel like often with something maybe dramatic or romantic, you can sort of let the audience go on their individual journeys and pull their associations out from it as long as by the end of the movie you have them in tears. Mm. With horror and comedy, to me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's regimented, it's specific, and you don't want to leave one audience member behind at any moment. No. Would you be kind enough to be add some specificity here? Talk specifically about the construction of a joke and specifically about the construction of a scream moment. Yeah, I mean, to me, the the rhythm is that you build tension, you set a pattern, and then you break the pattern. Okay, so you know, in 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 comedy, we we essentially we will start. You know, there's something called the game of a scene in in a, in, in improv comedy or sketch comedy. So that would be where you know, if you take 
the the you know the substitute teacher scene in, in Key and Peele, we sort of you know he gets the first name wrong, yes. A.A. Ron. Yes. Then he gets the next name name wrong. We learn that you know we we get it now. Balake. Okay, we get what he's doing. We set this pattern. By the end of the scene, myself, the one black kid in class, come comes out and he goes, you know, I think he goes, Joe Nathan, and I go, present, you know. <laughs> we break the, we we break it. Yeah. In, in horror, I don't know if I have the an exact the the an example as as good as that, but there there is the 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 energy of setting this pattern. You. Someone's walking down the hall. Someone hears a noise down the hallway. They start walking to that noise. They hear it again. They walk closer to it. They open the door at the end of the hallway. They look for where the noise came from. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the creature's right behind them. Yes, yes. Right. You, you, that, you, you use the momentum of the audience against them. Yes. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Judah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other answer to your question, Stephen, is that, you know, I had so many notes and tones and, and genres going into this project. And so what I what I what I feel strongly about both horror and comedy is that they're only as good as how real they feel. So the most difficult thing to achieve in, in, in any type of genre or any kind of story i feel is the illusion of reality this is actually happening and that's that goes very wrong with many comedies and horror projects very quickly like the and it it takes you out right the moment you could be watching a perfectly good horror movie and the one moment where somebody should have called the police and they just didn't they decide to go back in the house you go well i can't enjoy the movie and enjoy the movie. So my due north on the compass was reality. When we're and I'm going to cut it there. His due north is is reality. I think that is such. Honey, I know this is just audio, and we're not we're not showing the video out of respect to Jordan and and the use of his likeness because this is an old interview. But we were hanging on his every word when he was talking about this. We were like, oh my gosh. This is golden. This is so amazing. And and that's why he's such a natural teacher. Even when he's just in his bliss as an artist, he is teaching us. Would you agree? We agree with what? The fact that he's such a good teacher through his art and, and in his interviews. Well, he's such a good teacher. To me, it's, you know, whether or not he was a good teacher, when he came to talk to UCLA, to your class at UCLA, he naturally stepped into that lecturer position. He mm-hmm. loved addressing your class, and they loved him. And he was able to sp- speak with clarity about subjects that are very difficult. You know, I think that he is hugely intelligent, and I think he almost accidentally discovered his genius here. I mean, I don't think he had any idea who he was in that sense. It wasn't like he was thinking, just wait till they get a hold of me. He's just thinking, I, w- I hope I can get a movie made. I think in the beginning, it might have been He's that way. Humble. <laughs> it might have been that way in the beginning. But I did hear him recently on the Today Show when, when they were walking on the Universal lot on the set that's based on his movie. <laughs> he said, what would you have thought five years ago if you could see all of this? And his answer kind of surprised me. It was like the plan worked. You know, so I agree with you to a point. I agree with you that he might have stumbled into it up to when he got Get Out made. Right. But once Get Out was done and he realized, oh, oh, I can I can have impact here. He started dreaming really big. And I I hope so, because that's the only considering that he is that thing, that he is legitimately that brilliant. He better be making plans because otherwise, (laughs) you know, uh, mm, I don't want to go any deeper into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go into that comment next week. Yes. So this next excerpt has to do with his vision. And it was based on a question from one of the students in the online class. So I'm asking about him and his overall vision and Monkey Paws vision and the kind of impact his company, he wants his company to have. 
was a part of it. Great, great. great. One, of, one of our other students, uh, Ramona, asked a little bit about your company. You know, one of the things I really admire about you is not only that here you are as an artist bringing out your voice and stories, but you're encouraging other creatives to get in the mix and you'd really like to sort of transform the entire game. So she was asking in terms of uh, Monkey Paw, or she was just curious how you're looking at what are your plans? Finding new talent. Is there a plan in effect? Are you going to have contests? What kinds of things is, is, is Monkey Paw planning to do? Well, yeah, and to, you know, the, the, the idea to me, what I realized, and you, you guys are both really amazing exceptions to this, and there are many other amazing exceptions, but as, you know, our culture has kind of expected black people to tell our truths in the form of genre, of drama. Mm-hmm. And um, that uh, I, I think there's a, I, because of the comfortability, the comfortableness of, you know, dealing with pain with reverence or perceived reverence of, of drama. And to me, that sort of excludes the African-American experience from re- really beautiful genres and genres that make more money yes, <laughs> than drunk, if, if done right. So that's the problem I'm trying to rectify. And so what, what I, my, my, my mission statement is to say, not interested in drama. I'm going to help try to help inspire and help, try to help encourage and try to help produce stories about by black people that may be specifically about race, could be completely not about race, but are are, are in the, these fun, heightened, elevated fantasy world. And it turns out, you know, what the world is gaga over it because we haven't gotten it. This is why Black Panther is going to be what Black Panther is going to be. Yeah, so, I mean, in some ways, when I hear that clip, it feels like he's talking about Nope. I think that he's talking about a very specific current that's running through his heart and in his mind, Mm -hmm. and that all of his stuff comes from that current, so that we're watching the evolution of an artist and we're watching that artist beginning to awaken to his potential and power. Yes. And, but it, he's the same guy. Yes. He's always been the same guy. Yes. And I think that, that artists, there are some very important things that, that can be extracted from, from his lessons. I think that this is why it's, it's, I've never agreed with the idea that you shouldn't meet your heroes. I mm. love meeting my heroes. Well, yes. Even when they're flawed. So it's right. like, okay, so, so great art flows from flawed human beings. That's the truth. If you have this sense that, that there's some perfect people out there, it is time to be disabused of this. But I, Jordan is so sweet and so he is, giving he's an absolute that sweetheart. he's like the one, if you get a chance, he's the one you want to meet, you know, for sure. Don't do not miss that opportunity because he, he just feels very grounded. And when you get into the weeds with these kinds of conversations, so, so, so smart about story. I yeah. think you know, every joke is a story. You know, horror is a story. Screams are triggered by a story. Jordan, like I said, I think he accidentally found out what he was. I mean, I, cer- certainly he was doing a lot of the writing on Key and Peele or directing the writer's room. Clearly, we should have seen this coming. Right. We didn't. Racist you know, zombies. Hello. At all. But looking back, it's clear where the influence was that to a certain degree, Keegan is the performer. And Jordan's the creator, you know, and they, that's something that made them a perfect combination. And I am so glad that they found each other and developed together. And, you know, Jordan said that, you know, the, the Keegan's like his brother. Right. And I can see that completely. And I'm sure um, he had creative input as well. You know, I, I know you're saying it, it's not completely one way or the other, but, no. but, abs- but absolutely. Now that we see, Jordan Peele's movies, you can go back to Cam Peele and see those seeds in science fiction and fantasy, uh, or rather horror, well, and fantasy, actually, throughout. Just, it's all there. It's right in front of us. And and we didn't know what it meant. We didn't know. So well, this, le- 
Yeah, go on, sweetie. I guess it's really interesting when someone who you've been watching blows up huge, almost as if you'd gone to see Prince at a local bar. Right. You know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody, Little Red Corvette or something comes out, Purple Rain, and he's huge. He's gigantic. And you can kind of say to yourself, there was something about that guy that I sensed even at the beginning. So there was something about him that we picked up on on Key and Peele, you know, that come on Mad TV, that when Key and Peele came out, we were watching every episode. But once again, it never hit me what what was inside him. And I am just so glad that he is giving that gift to the world. So this last clip is super fun. And I, I don't want to say too much in the introduction because I might repeat everything in the video. So I'll just play it. <laughs> and this was our last question to Jordan that day. He, he Skyped in to talk to our Black Horror class online. You know, I think the, the, there's a piece of the reaction to this where I can feel, you know, people, people saying, you know, what's the next get out? What's the next, you know, the people, you know, and I hear these murmurings of the industry, like people are asking, what's the next get out? And I think it's important to note that the, the thing that made get out, get out is that it had no business existing. <laughs> when I thought of it and when I was making it, it, it was an idea that was not okay, was not, was not producible. It, it broke the rules. And so what I would say to people um, who are thinking, what's my get out is think of what that next thing is. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, Think of what the, the think of what we're not supposed to be doing. You throw your give your imagination an impossible task to work out, and then give yourself the time to work it out. And that's why you know when by the time this movie came out, it, there was this convergence with time. You know, the our culture had evolved. You know, for the for the worse, but it. <laughs> It, 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 you know, in that, you know, the racial dynamic took many steps backward in this country. Although, you know, there's argument to say, you know, I love when Obama says, you know, progress is in a straight line. And, <laughs> and I do believe that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more afraid. I'm less afraid of the, the, the person that calls me the N-word than the person, the silent person who's thinking it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that the, the you know, the, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, that right now in, in this time where it feels like we were, we're stepping backwards in so many ways we are with policy and with murder and, and violence, that the fact that conversation is happening now, albeit unpleasant, is going to end up moving us in the direction of progress. Yes, I agree. Right on, right on. And 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 anyway, looping back, I would just say, when you're thinking about what project you want to make, that is your get out, think about what the world's not ready for yet. Mm. By the time you're done, the world's going to be ready for it. I love that. I, I cannot help but ask, would President Obama say goodbye to our students? <laughs> Oh, you know, I'll always be out here. No, no, I may be windsurfing, but remember, no, I'll never really say goodbye. Always be in your minds. Always in your minds. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks, thanks to both of you. You can take multitudes, my friend. And we appreciate it. Enjoy your day. Hope you get some time off between now and the Oscars. All right. Well, I'll try. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm hard. I'm, I'm hard at work on this next one. So. Thank you. And of course, the rest is history. That next one is us. He was thinking about that. You know, where they're like the next Get Out. He has so moved on from Get Out by the time he's been working on us. He's not boxing himself and Get Out. No, not at all. You know, <laughs> and all we can say is go see this movie. It's not, you know, it, it for yourself and also just I think that we need to show the world that we will support movies like this. It's not going to be in any danger, but still 
don't take it for granted. Don't do not take our, you know, when filmmakers are doing things that address your heart, do not take them for granted. Go out, support them. Yeah. So wear a mask, you know, do it safely. If you feel more comfortable going at a time when there are fewer people there, go earlier in the day. But, you know, the there biggest was that theater you can find the right. biggest screen you can find. Absolutely. And if you want, that was just excerpts from the interview. We, we had a 35 minute conversation with Jordan Peele. It's a part of our online black horror class, which is available for sale at www.sunkenplaceclass.com. So in addition to Life Writing Premium, check out our black horror class. A lot of people have taken it. I noticed there are a lot of views on this. So there are a lot of students who have who've had access to that to that video. Anyway, Thank you all so much for joining us on the podcast. We're going to have very exciting hosting news in terms of our new platform coming up in August. I, I'm so excited about that. I'm not even going to say who we're it going is. To, we're going to Comic-Con this weekend. And so we'll we're going to Comic-Con to this weekend. Comic-Con. Yeah, actually, we'll have already left Comic-Con by the time this comes out. That's right. Maybe we'll meet somebody <laughs> who'll make a good guest. We were there. We were there. We were at Comic-Con. Hope we saw you there. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you for listening to this time capsule interview with Jordan Peele on on the release of his soon-to-be blockbuster new film, Nope. And make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. All right, everybody. You guys take care, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah. I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? (laughs) Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.